Hello, I'm Mike Toundro, and welcome to the Jacob Burns Filmcast. On today's episode, we're taking another dive into the JBFC archives to revisit a 2019 Q&A on The Biggest Little Farm. Annual JBFC series focused on nature examines the beauty, power, and mystery of nature, as well as the ways in which we affect and preserve the world around us. For opening night of last year's Focus on Nature series, we screened The Biggest Little Farm, featuring the inspirational story of a young couple who leave their tiny LA apartment and move on to 200 acres in the foothills of Ventura County to build one of the most diverse farms of its kind. It's an important investigation into the unique and various ways humans are finding their way back to nature. Following the opening night screening on April 18th, 2019, JBFC founding director of programming Brian Ackerman sat down for a conversation with Jack Algieri, farm director at the world-famous Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture. Let's listen in. You actually went out to California to meet John and Molly yeah. not that long ago. Yeah, what, we, well, when Brian came to, uh, came to me to ask if I would participate in, in this showing, we just happened to have... Uh, have already had a plan to go visit a few farms in California, some speaking there. And uh, so we reached out to John and Molly to see if uh, they would take visitors on the farm, and they said, um, yeah, absolutely, come out. So would that farm have been on your list anyhow? I mean, does anybody, is it on anybody's radar in that way, or just? Well, you know, John's a great filmmaker, and I think that's why it's showing up on everybody's radar, really, because uh, partially the way that he presents the farm. Uh -huh. um, you know, if you go to the website, check out Apricot Lane, um, he's got all these little vignettes and lots of different stories about what he's done, and this is sort of the sort of apex of that. So I think it's a great way to be able to represent what the farm is. Oh, it's really, it's really sort of a beautiful film. I mean, so what, did, what was your take on the farm? I mean, how did it sort of, you know, sort of speak to you? Uh, well, first of all, the farm is absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, it's, Moor Park is like uh, north, it's, it's kind of the new Thousand Oaks, so it's sprawl, um, and it's actually kind of interesting because it was, and it is a, a lot of sort of uh, big ag around it, but it, there's this sense of sort of uh, suburb sprawl to it, so there's access. And I think that's what, it was a real sweet spot for them to take that and has, still be able to have that direct market to their customers. They're not far away and a lot of the people can go there to visit. Um, and, you know, they're so humble and it's, it's really extraordinary how much they just totally jumped in. They really did embrace it and the place was um, absolutely gorgeous and uh, we had a fun time there. Uh, Shannon and I and the boys went and had a great time. Yeah. Um, so, it, it turns out Alan York is somebody that you know. Um, yeah, you know, it was actually really amazing to watch this film. Um, Alan had been advising in California a long time and was actually, got his start in California working for my mentor, Amigo Bob, and uh, was involved in uh, biodynamics and work, especially in uh, Northern California and Fetzer area and everything, and uh, that's kind of how he got started there. Um, yeah. But Alan is a kind of a rare breed, like Amigo, that, that are really people out there um, just totally confident in nature, totally being uh, trusting what it can do, and you hear it in a way that I think is, you know, simple and something that I definitely agree with, which is the more complex, the better. There's something 
there's some sort of simplicity in the big whole of things. And uh, definitely what he showed to them, and you could see the fear in their eye when he disappeared. I mean, I mean, I mean, you came to, to Stone Barns, you know, I guess, what is it, 19 years ago? I mean, is it, when did it start? It starts around the same time that this yeah, we, Well, we moved there in, in uh, 2003 to okay, start Stone Barns. So, yeah, we're 16 years in now. And um, in a, it, it certainly wasn't the kind of it wasn't no shovel, like bounce off shovel. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows, uh, I'm, I'm sure, knows uh, the park preserve and how beautiful it is there. But it was a cattle operation. It was pasture, open pastures. So um, in a way, we explored the diversity as deeply as possible. And, um, and we've grown this community there that I really, we, it's so easy to resonate with what they're doing. Um, you know, maybe just to take a second to, to uh, get some hands from some of the folks that are on the farm here. How many people here are from Stone Barns? Yeah. So we're, we have a lot of farmers. We have a great community. How many non-Stone Barns farmers here? <laughs> no, well, you're all part of it, too. Okay. So people who, okay. So I just want to point that out, that, it's, that it is a big community kind of doing it. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> there was this other piece that uh, when we first got there to visit them, you know, we, it was obviously great to see the place, but um, really right away in our conversation, the thing that I got, especially with yeah. Molly, when Shannon and I were talking to her, was uh, just that we really see that it's the artist and the person that wants to get involved in this kind of work. It's, it's not... It's not the industry of farming that people are wanting to get involved in. It's, it's the art form and this uh, relationship with nature. And it's definitely taught me over the years, that's what I want, that riding that wave is the thing we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, getting everybody that's working with us on the farm to really appreciate not only the real technical sort of mastery work, but also just the beauty of creativity that comes out of being able to make choices every day. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, and, and, but they were also, you guys were a model for them in many ways. I mean. Yeah, they, well, it, it turned out that they said, you know, we were like largely inspired by what you guys were doing, which is also very flattering considering what they'd done. Um, and to think that what they'd done there really didn't start until 2010. You know, that you can see how quick a place can restore. And I think it's a little secret. I think that's actually a really special secret for people that do work with the land and work with gardens, because it's such a, there, there's some kind of trust, um, the way a place, once you start to care for it, how, how much it comes out of it, how much abundance comes out of it, and you get all the credit for a little while, you know. I mean, you said something really beautiful when we were talking earlier, that we, when we were talking about, you know, farmer as artist. Um, and you said that there's a kind of like, the, that we all have in our head this model of farmer's toiler, and it's just so, um, it's a kind of like a beaten down vision of what a farmer is, and it was so sort of refreshing to hear that idea of a, of a farmer as an artist. Oh, yeah. Well, we want people to be involved in this. I think why we're, we're scared of nature, maybe a little bit as a society, we're uh, we have this kind of imagery of farming because we're so disassociated from it that it's really easy to think about farming as being this toiling, 
very hard, heavy kind of work. Um, that's not been my experience in a lifetime of doing this. I, there's certainly been days that have been really challenging, mentally challenging, physically challenging, but it is uh, tremendously uplifting. Did, did, was, it, was it coming to Stoneburns and sort of like envisioning that, that sort of enabled you to think of it as a creative process, or did you always, was it always feeling like that, you know, from an early, early time? You've been farming since you were how old? Uh, well, since, since I could get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, growing felt, up on a farm, creative? I had a lot of chores and stuff like that. But, uh -huh. you know, in high school. Um, but it, it never felt like a toil? It, 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 no. It's, it's just yeah, I mean, it's, I love that stuff. I think having a work ethic and uh, being able to do physical things and trying to... There's this sort of game that I play a lot, which is how do you make that job just that much more subtle? How do you get better at it all the time? It doesn't matter how simple the job is, you can always get a little bit better at it. I mean, that's sort of the beauty of gardening and farming. It's like, it just gets better. And you don't have that many chances. You, there, there's a limited number of chances you get. The season comes around and it's gone, and you, you can sort of remember what just happened, but you're not going to be able to respond to that same thing until you get all the way around the season again and back at it. So to me, it, that's always been there. The thing that Stone Barnes did to me was put this wind behind me. Because before that, I really did feel like we were kind of alone. And uh, Stone Barnes provided a certain kind of amplification to what we were doing that really made it feel like others could participate and, and hear and respond. You guys are really sort of actively trying to change the way people think about farming all around, all around the country and, and beyond. I mean, is there, I mean, the vision of, of sustainability that comes up in this film, this sort of like permaculture sustainability. Oh, by the way, why don't they use the word bio, biodynamic farm in the, in the film? I'm just curious, because isn't, isn't that what it is, but they don't say it? That's a good question. Um, I, I think that, well, I have a certain perspective of it, so without projecting too much of that, I would say they're just talking about the harmony of things without placing a name on it. They weren't talking about organic, they weren't talking about biodynamic. Um, my personal feeling about biodynamic is it's a personal spiritual relationship to a space. There are, there's methodology to it, but it's more about your relationship to that land and the cycle that it the, the sort of whole organism concept um, that I don't think they have enough time in that film to really mm -hmm. get across in a way that doesn't feel too etheric. So they, but that's fine, I guess, because that's kind of the way we look at it. Um, you just used a word that people rarely use in relation to farming, is spirituality. Um, oh. Well, I would say that the farmers that we see getting involved in agriculture now, um, if you look at it, the, the, the lot of us, uh, you could say it's a, it's a broad spectrum of people from, um, you know, sort of young, uh, postgraduate or interested, maybe, maybe from another kind of world, wanting to get into agriculture because we want to have this social, make this social change, uh, have a positive effect on climate, positive effect on our community around us. There's also 
a huge value for the veteran populations, for therapy to get back in, uh, refugee and immigrant populations being involved in it. It's therapy, it's return. You have to look at the, the entire group of emerging farm, farmers that are coming into, so especially direct market farms, the people that are feeding us in our, in our suburbs and outside of our cities and all these places, are, are, that's the kind of person we're talking about. Um, very few of them are sort of legacy. Legacy farmers. Yeah. It's so heartening that today, incredibly. You know, I, I just want to mention one thing about what we're doing at Stone Barns too. Is that that doesn't quite get mentioned in this film, although he does bring in the uh, sort of character of the community around afterwards. But what makes a farm happen, and then after all that complexity, you know, all that's happening, but. If there isn't a community that's actually willing and wanting and fully committed to that, there's, there's no way that kind of scenario stays in existence. It just doesn't. And I don't mean just a farmer's market kind of commitment. I mean real, real circular economy kind of commitment, solidarity. And that comes with uh, different kinds of models that we, we have to keep building. And that's what's been really amazing, what I mean by having the community at my back at Stone Barns, at, with all of us, is that we have this capacity to be able to uh, have this sort of entrepreneurial spirit of business and, and value added and this incredible restaurant partner and the community partnerships and, and that sort of thing. To me, that, that gives us this very uh, positive approach to how to do this in the future. I was just reading something, I think it was just two days ago, about dairy farms in Minnesota and just how just going out of business by in the droves. So, so the business aspect is sort of like the business model of this kind of sustainability is, is very much in the forefront of your minds all the time, is how do we create something that can actually work economically? Right. Well, that's a good question. I mean, if we are asking for sustainability in the world and we're asking for that, that uh, economy, that kind of margin of growth, like any other business off of a farm, and all we're doing is pulling that out of the soil and selling it to everybody. Um, what's the sustainability in that? There, there has to be some other equity in the, in the supply. And um, you know, doing all this, it, it is a bit of alchemy, right? We, we're planting cover crops, we have all this diversity, we're bringing habitat back. We're bringing community in. We're, we're literally changing climate. And at the same time, we are competing with that same product that, that may not even be valuing those other parts and, um, and not even in the supply chain. So I think it's a really important thing. I, I, I can't stress it enough how important it is for all of us to understand that we're part of a food chain. Some of us are farmers. And, not everybody needs to be, but we all have to understand we have, it's like a, a commitment to our future. Why don't we get the, uh, the microphone going around? We'll take, a, we'll take a few questions. But you know, one moment in the film that feels like, that points out the, the, the juxtaposition between the traditional farming and, and sustainable farming that is so gorgeous in a way, that moment where they have the 18 inches of rain in California, and you just see literally the farm being washed away elsewhere, and they actually manage to to hold on to the water and everything. It's just so. Oh, 
You know, one thing that, I mean, we've always had this in our mind that my feeling about this is because it's a living space, you put plants on the ground, they're, they're creating these ecosystems for the soil, they're allowing the water to infiltrate better, they're changing the whole space. And we've been watching that happen around the farm, uh, you know, on a relatively small acreage on the 80 acres that is our immediate stone barns. And in the past a couple of years, we've taken on the management of all the pastures in the park preserve, which has been a, a really amazing uh, thing to take on. But also with, with that, uh, again, it's more, but there's something that made it all seem a lot simpler to us, that we're protecting this, all this grassland that's out there, and we, we now really kind of oversee the watershed and to me, that totally changed the way, it, like having that much breadth to care for and to know that um, the, every time we're improving the soil, even a little bit, that the cattle are the way the animals are moving over it um, and, and changing the surface of the soil and there's more plant biodiversity and more bird habitat and more carbon sequestration and more organic matter and the rainwater can be absorbed that much faster and go back into the aquifer Every time that happens, that's better for all of us. It's just this thing that is better for all of us, and it absolutely takes no effort except uh, some, some sort of orchestration, in a way. Yeah, it, okay. Um, <laughs> I'd love to, right there. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, Jack. Uh, this is a really practical question, but I think you might have answered it already because you now have more responsibility for more land. Is there ever any spare chicken poo available for sale at Stone Barns? Well, we, we sell compost from what we uh, produce that is a, a mix of, of animal manures and vegetables and leaves and things like that. Um, the raw manure is precious stuff. Um, right here. So I got another uh, poop-related question. Fantastic. That's my thing. We all know poop's really important for fertility. Um, I noticed that they had a, a really kick-ass uh, worm set up. Do you guys have any vermiculture, vermicompost going on? Yeah, we do, actually. We have a vermicompost that we've adjusted again in the greenhouses. In fact, um, we have... We both learned from the same person, this man Jack Chambers, uh, who designed those long rectangular bins. Uh, he's at Sonoma Worm Farm, if you ever are out that way, and, uh, and he's, he's created some pretty cool models for that. He's a, uh, an ex-flight engineer and just got into composting. But we do all kinds of other kinds of composting, and of course, the, the, just a note on that. If it ever lived, it can be composted. And there's, it's like, compost is like saying food. So we can compost in all sorts of different ways. We have forced air composts that are really highly protected so we can do things like volatile stuff like food waste or, or slaughter waste and things like this. Um, but we, our favorite thing is really manures, 
animal manures and vegetable manures in windrows and things like that. So it's sort of all different ways, but the vermicomposting in the greenhouse is one that we've been developing more just because it's more potent and easier to apply. And, and of course, we, we use compost teas on a pretty regular basis across the farm, along with other herbal teas and things like that as sprays. In the back. I, I was fascinated in the movie about the, uh, the way that they conquered the snails and the, uh, the birds and so on. Have you encountered some of those uh, challenges at Stone Barns? Um, we absolutely have. There, there's this really interesting thing that happens when, when something starts to work like that on the farm, um, when we get it right, it's like things just click into place. Um, that, uh, you know, when we, when we figured out how to manage our forest with our pigs, uh, that, was, uh, that was sort of a monumental moment when we realized that we uh, not only didn't have to feed them purchased grain, but we had all the material we needed and the pigs were actually doing this incredible job for us. So we, f we realized the purpose, which was the point of the ducks and the snails, that everything has a purpose. We don't necessarily know what the purpose is yet. And that's the thing about diversity in a system, is that it's not just the sake of having lots of stuff. And actually, Alan points that out. He's just like, put a lot of stuff there. You'll figure it out. You'll figure out what things actually start to click with each other. And then you'll get rid of the other things, or you'll line up the designs so that they all start to work together. And the more we do it, the more we see it. And uh, I think it's just, a, at this point, we're, we're patterned for that. So um, it's in the holistic design that we have sort of built in with our team. I have a question about um, the change, uh, if, it is, if it has occurred because of the death of uh, David Rockefeller. I know that the cattle have been sold. And you mentioned cattle, so I wonder if there have been changes. Um, and my other thought is I should have told those young farmers just to move to the Hudson Valley. <laughs> I think it would have been easier to farm here. And so my second question, I'm sorry I'm asking you two questions. Uh, what would be the difference between farming in California in that more desert area than in the Hudson Valley? Water. Uh, water. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and markets and that sort of thing, and, and the difference in the soil itself. But in the end, a healthy ecosystem uh, supports what uh, a certain series or a certain sort of combination of things. Every place has its kind of, uh, well, it is composition. It is orchestration. There, there are a perfect sort of group of instruments that, that actually, in their right number, make a symphony. And, and our play in this is, is very much that. Like, we're, we're all playing the pieces as well as we can. Some of us are conducting, others are playing drums, you know, and this is the kind of program that we're looking for. And when something is that out of, out of place, um, and water, water is one of those things that is elemental, so uh, when we're trying to work around something like that, um, they have to prepare in a different way than we do. But when we get, we've had 
we know how variable it is to live here. Sometimes we'll get 10 weeks of drought in the middle of summer, and some years it never stops raining. And uh, both of those, those are challenges that um, there's, no, there's no terrible situation. You know, there's always, that's the other thing about having the diversity of it. Some things rise, some things fall, um, and sometimes everything's really good. <laughs> so to answer your other question, um, David Rockefeller uh, gave us a tremendous gift of that place, the family as a whole, uh, protecting that land for all this time and then passing it to Stone Barns and the Rockefeller State Park Preserve um, and protecting that land in perpetuity is, is something that is special for all of us. There's no question about that. And when it, we were asked to participate and farm on that land, um, the one thing that I really wanted to get across to everyone was that we were there to conserve and protect that land through the use of animals and perennial systems. And that's what we were going to do. So rather than just sign a, a license agreement to manage that land, we built uh, a, a long document, a 40-page conservation action plan that is beyond me, beyond any park manager, beyond any state park commissioner that, that states what our intentions for health of this place is. And we're holding to it. We have lots of university partners, Autobahn, all sorts of folks. Uh, we're building bird habitats, insect habitat, pollinators. Um, we are monitoring our soil carbon and soil organic matter and all of our water. Um, and just to show that the animals and an active agricultural system on conservation land is, is a, an amazing way to care for land. In fact, to the extent that it reduces all kinds of tractor work to mow, um, it completely eliminates the use of herbicides and pesticides on the property, on the entire property as a whole because of our, our land management practices. And so I think it is a huge benefit, and it's a mutual benefit, because we get the great pleasure of actively managing that land and being in partnership with, with the state. We'll, we'll just take uh, a couple more questions. Um, yeah, I would imagine that doing farming in this way is, is costly. And the produce that you buy at the farmer's market, especially even the organic produce over the other produce, is, is more costly. And are there ways to address um, doing this kind of farming on a bigger scale and more affordable scale to the actual, to the consumer? I mean, I love the farmer's market produce, but... Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, would, I would say that rather than looking at scale, scaling up, that what we really want to do is scale out and develop the infrastructure it takes to actually make it affordable for the farmers that are producing the product. Because you have to kind of consider it this way. On average, regardless of what anyone's farming, that small, direct, diverse scale kind of farming is 70% labor. What you're paying for is people living in your community. You're paying for a cycled economy of people coming back. You're, you're paying for the care of the land that's around you specifically and a place for, that you can go to. So you may not visit every farm that you go to at the farmer's market and you know, remember that they are coming to the market 
from an hour or two hours away from where they live and farm. And you don't have to go there. So they do. And, and situations like that, um, they're, they're still, regardless of right or wrong for any of us, it's still a, 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 a little bit inequitable. Um, it requires us all to commit more. And I think there's, to be more specific about the being involved in the uh, supply chain, it really means that when people start giving back to communities, rather than just buying farmland for farmers, uh, the better way to go would be to invest in things like uh, places like cooperative cold storage or co-packs or ways for the farmers to have some equity in a value chain um, because that's where enterprise and entrepreneurship starts to come out um, and helps to pay back to the farm. There are CSA models or all sorts of other kind of, uh, again, the term is really solidarity economies, like that we, rather than paying a la carte to the farms, that we help actually support the farms that are in our communities, which is actually kind of like, um, in a way, giving, let's say we give to uh, a nonprofit organization for doing something uh, a conservation type organization. In this way, you give to that conservation organization and they feed you. Imagine, imagine that. We still don't see that. But imagine it. Mm -hmm. Because that's definitely what can happen. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how we cycle economy and actually get active conservation going. But I love that question because it's, it's a, kind of a cone. I'm, I'm going to ask you the last question here. It's just that in since 2003 to 2019, could you ever have imagined the sort of the resonance that this project would be having in so many places? It feels like so much has changed in not a whole lot of time. What we've learned about climate has changed everything. Mm. So I'm glad people are more interested in farming and eating locally and recognizing the value of that. But it's uh, pretty Actually, ominous. That, that was a question <laughs> I wanted to ask because, I mean, how does one deal with the, I mean, it's a stupid question actually, because you can't, I guess, is the problem is that farming requires a certain level of stability within the climate. Um, there's actually a film in the series called Grand Cru, which is about winemaking in France. And it's really about the difficulty when, the, when you have these extreme weather events? Well, it depends what we want, right? Because when we have a broad, diverse system, when our market is to, uh, when the farm is being dictated by uh, uh, the selection and choice of the customer alone, rather than the dance happening between what the farms, are, what's really right for the farm to be growing and all that diversity for care of the place. Because one of the reasons for diversity is when something extreme happens, the place can absorb that shock. The people can absorb the shock. And there's product that becomes imperfect sometimes. And whether or not any of us are willing to actually turn that into something valuable for ourselves, is something we are more or less trained for. And that, that's the thing that we have to kind of continue to look for, is that there is no waste in nature. Everything gets cycled back in in some way. 
although we have a lot of trash. You know, that is, these are very different things. So recognizing how to, uh, it, it's a commitment. I would say one of the things that we work really closely with the restaurant with is that actually our best stories are about the waste. It's our, our absolute best stories are about the, the catastrophes. They turn into dishes that are like really alchemized into stories about here's what you can do when there's a hailstorm. Here's what you can do when there's a, you know, a stretch of one degree temperatures. Here's, you know, here's what you can do with downpour rains all summer uh, or a blight or something like that. We, we've been kind of fixated on that a little bit because it's not all about how perfect it is. It's really more about how we manage it together and how we problem solve. Well, thank you, Jack, for your creativity and for coming and for everything. This podcast is supported by the Jacob Burns Film Center. It's mixed, edited, and published by me, Mike Tanjo, and produced by my co-host, Paige Grandprey. Special thanks to Brian Ackerman and Jack Algieri for their fabulous discussion on The Biggest Little Farm. Last but certainly not least, we want to note that the 2019 iteration of JBFC's series Focus on Nature was presented in partnership with Scenic Hudson and Groundwork Hudson Valley and made possible through generous support from the Hotch family and the Van Hangel Family Fund. As a nonprofit organization, the JBFC relies heavily on and is endlessly grateful to all the sponsors, donors, members, and patrons who make our work possible. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate the Jacob Burns Filmcast wherever you get your podcast services. It helps other people find us and ensures you'll stay in the loop as new episodes are released. As a reminder, you can also find us on social media. We're at JBFC underscore NY on Twitter, at JBFC Peeville on Instagram, and Jacob Burns Film Center on Facebook and YouTube. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, shoot us an email at jbfilmcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you at the movies.